Finance Canada officials took the stand on day 25 of the Emergencies Act hearings and confirmed the Canadian banks took measures to freeze some bank accounts at their own discretion without receiving information from the RCMP. Plus, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's National Security Advisor Jody Thomas testified that she held a very negative view of the convoy, referring to them in one email as people who, quote, do not care about or understand democracy. One of Canada's most prominent banks is funding child gender transitions after donating 500000 to the McMaster Pediatric Gender Diversity Program. And Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has made good on her promise to overhaul Alberta Health Services leadership, firing 11 members of the department's board. Hello Canada, it's Friday, November 18th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Andrew Lawton, in for Anthony Fury. And I'm Sue Ann Levy, in for Sue Ann Levy. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. On day 25 of the Emergencies Act hearings, Deputy Finance Minister Michael Sabia testified alongside two assistant deputy ministers, Isabel Jacques and Reese Mendez. The finance officials confirmed the Canadian banks took unilateral measures to freeze some bank accounts on their own discretion without receiving any information from the RCMP. Here's what that sounded like. The ideas of the regulation as you conceived it and as ultimately it was enacted, was that the banks would receive some information from police authorities, as you say, it turned out to be the RCMP, uh, and then they would vet that information and exercise some discretion as to whether or not they should take measures under the order to, as we're saying, compactly freeze the accounts. Is that right? Yes, I would say so. I mean, if you uh, received information from the RCMP, the financial institution, financial payment service providers would have to review the information they receive and ensure that the people that are named are actually the people that are have accounts with the, that financial institution. So that's number one. Uh, certainly they had to, you know, ensure they had the right people, uh, but also on their own, as I mentioned before, they could review the information they have, use the systems they have, their algorithm to, to detect suspicious transaction, which they did. And on their own, they did freeze uh, bank accounts without information received from the RCMP. Jacques and Mendez also took responsibility for freezing the bank accounts of convoy supporters, describing their own actions as, quote, quite a feat, unquote. To the extent that we developed the emergency, the, the order, and that we had a successful implementation of that order, in my view, was uh, quite a feat. It's a logical sequence. What I'm trying to find is who says we were the ones who seized the bank accounts or froze the bank accounts. You know, it, that the banks say we were told to do it. The RCMP says we didn't tell anybody to do it. You say we weren't involved in this. But, yeah, but we set no. a policy. Yeah, we, set we set a policy. Yeah. And, we're, and we are accountable for that policy. And thank you. That's, that is exactly what I wanted to... Uh, make sure uh, we got to before we finish with the panel. Freedom Convoy lawyer Brendan Miller got into quite a heated exchange with Deputy Minister Sabia when he asked Sabia if he believed that the government's interference in the finances of the convoy would be a violation of donors' freedom of expression. I'm aware that the Charter protects 
the right to free expression. Right. And were you aware that donations to a political cause have been interpreted and continue to be interpreted by the highest court as being part of freedom of expression? Were you yeah. aware of that? Yeah. I'm a, look, the issue here, at least in my opinion, is not about donations because nobody acted. Uh, even in the context of the Emergencies Act, um, no one, I mean, the RCMP was, was I think, quite clear and, and publicly clear that their intention here was not to uh, take action on people who had made uh, relative, in most cases, I think, re relatively modest donations. So the, the, there, there really wasn't action here, um, as best I can detect, action here with respect to, to the activity of making I, donations. I, I, I understand that. Justin Trudeau's National Security Advisor, Jody Thomas, also testified on Thursday. It was clear she held a very negative view of the freedom protesters. In internal emails, Thomas claimed the convoy protesters, quote, do not care about or understand democracy. And prior to receiving a threat assessment from law enforcement agencies, Thomas wrote that the protest was about a national threat to national interests and institutions. Sue Ann, government officials seemed baked in on their belief that this was a violent protest, even without any evidence. Do you think that anything is going to change that view? No, absolutely not. I think they're taking their marching orders from the prime minister's office. I think that um, they had preconceived notions that these were whatever you want to call them, um, white supremacist, uh, racist bottom of the, the barrel kind of people. And that isn't going to change. It's obvious from the testimony that they still feel that way. The government has often said, listen to the experts when it comes to COVID and other issues. But what's becoming apparent is how they didn't want to do that when it came to law enforcement and security experts. Absolutely. I think that um, they, you know, goes back to their preconceived notions about who these people were, they never bothered to find out. And they certainly in the time since, since February have not bothered to, uh, you know, understand or uh, accept the fact that these people weren't, weren't what they said they were and that they were just protesting the severe lockdowns and the vaccine mandates. We'll have more from the Public Order Emergency Commission hearings next week. Over to you, Sue Ann. The TD Bank is funding child gender transitions after donating 500000 to the McMaster Pediatric Gender Diversity Program. As first reported by Breitbart, the funding, which was first quietly announced in May, will go towards providing nearly 30 kids under the age of 18 gender affirmation services, such as medical transitions and more. Transgender individuals require endocrinologists to administer hormone treatments such as puberty blockers, testosterone injections, and more. Related treatments often affect permanent changes to a person's biology and physical appearance. Child gender transitions have become a controversial issue with proponents of the practice advocating that some kids are mature enough to make the life-changing decisions themselves. In a statement, 
TD Bank says, quote, the pediatric gender diversity program aims to provide medical and mental health services to trans and gender diverse youth as part of a comprehensive program that includes adolescent medicine, psychology, psychiatry, endocrinology, speech language pathology, and social work, unquote. My goodness, Andrew, you know, we hear more and more of these kinds of stories every day. Why is the TD Bank, do you believe, funding child gender transitions? Are they just trying to appease the radical trans activists or appear woke? That's the bizarre thing about this. I mean, I long for the days when corporations didn't have to wade into contentious political issues, which used to be the kind of things they steered very far away from. But the new woke culture has basically made it so that neutrality is fascism. If you don't enter the culture war, you're no worse than the people that are working against whatever they say is progress. So companies get bullied into taking up these causes. Yes, and TD Bank uh, was sort of first off the mark funding pride parades and uh, the LGBT community. So this doesn't surprise me in the slightest, as wrong as it may be in my view. In Florida, they banned this type of practice for children. I mean, there's a, a doctor in Miami who yanked uh, has been yanking off uh, young ladies' breasts, um, and they, she calls it yeet the teats. What is the situation here in Canada? Well, I mean, the one thing that is for sure is that anytime someone raises even the slightest bit of criticism, they get subjected to the cancel culture mill. And you needn't look further than Dr. Kenneth Zucker, who's quite a, a progressive thinker on this issue, but doesn't want to go all the way into what they call gender affirmation. So I, I think in Canada, when you have major banks that are funding this, it, it's clear that we need to very much start educating people on what's actually happening and why it's not in the children's best interest. But it is very hard to educate people because, as you say, the cancel court culture jumps into the fray and calls people like you and me, well, and me in particular, transphobic, even though I'm, I'm gay and I have many trans friends. I know that sounds very cliche, but, you know, I just happen to think 11-year-old kids are much too young. 11 and 12 are much too young to making uh, life-affirming, life-deciding decisions like this. Very well said. And then on to our third story, Andrew. On Thursday afternoon, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith fired 11 members of the Alberta Health Services Board, keeping her promise to completely overhaul the department in the lead up to next year's election. Smith announced the board was entirely replaced with a single administrator, Dr. John Cowell. Cal has been tasked with reducing ambulance wait times, emergency room wait times, and surgical wait times, and developing longer-term reforms through consultations with frontline workers. Premier Smith said Cal will be a full-time administrator, reporting directly to her and the health minister, Jason Copping. Copping said the public may be skeptical, but urged that he hopes to contribute to a better healthcare experience. Uh, Sue Ann, do you think that other premiers, namely Doug Ford in Ontario, need to be taking some inspiration from Alberta here? I think all premiers right across Canada need to step up to the plate and take some inspiration. I was recently out in Vancouver and uh, spent some time discussing the impossible wait times. 
Um, it is a disaster. Our health care system in Canada, in provinces, of course, you know, they're managed by the pro the healthcare system is managed by provinces. But it, uh, you know, the wait times are excruciatingly long, according to the statistics that were presented by the Fraser Institute. And uh, to add insult to injury, many of the wait times for specialists, life-saving specialists, cancer specialists, um, and other life-saving procedures uh, are, you know, a year, two years. I, I, I mean, I was shocked when I saw some of the data. Well, and the wait time issue is not a new one. It's an issue in many provinces, and it's been an issue when liberals have been in power, conservatives, new Democrats. So I think at this point, is it not fair to say that whatever politicians have done to date isn't working and, and something more radical is needed to get to the bottom of this? Absolutely. And, you know, let's not fool ourselves. We do already have a, a two-tier medical system, despite the fact that uh, the progressive politicians say that, uh, you know, public health care, socialized medicine is still the way to go. But those who can afford to access better care do so, whether it be in the States or at private clinic. And something has to be done about accepting the fact that if you co-pay, you provide uh, some sort of monies to get health care, then the system might improve. I know this is dangerous for me to suggest this, but it is absolutely the reality in Canada right now. That's it for today. Don't forget to check in at www.tncnews throughout the day and the week for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media by heading over to donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.